You should not make a movie that's only funny when you're stoned. If that's how you make a movie, you're not a good director. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. Maybe we've lost it after all these years. I don't know, but I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot. I may have lo- what is it? Uh, oh, f- us. <laughs> of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most. There you go. I believe that was Ozzy Osbourne that said that first. You are correct, sir. Peter is here. This is technically his topic because he made the mistake of watching a movie Cecil and I warned him about. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it happens, right? <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I don't know what's what's up or down anymore. I used to really, uh, I mean, we'll get into it. We will. I'm, uh, I'm definitely in kind of dire straits emotionally at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of getting into it, how about getting something into you? Go yeah. to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. We're going to be talking about other directors who have kind of, in some cases, I don't want to say have gone downhill, but other their, their work, their work has other, changed. There's in, really in some of the, other directors other than Ridley Scott who suck this bad right now. Yes, but th- there's, there's one I'm gonna. Yes, there's one I'm gonna bring up who Josh, I don't think I don't think I, he sucks the, now. I'm on the verge. I'm on the verge of suicide, man. I'm on the ledge. Just, you know, wait, I need wait. Riggs. I need Riggs to come talk me down. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I've seen that first movie. <laughs> but, but I mean, there's one I'm gonna bring up who I don't think his movies have gotten bad, but I think his style, I no longer like his style. But mm. you really, we warned you, man. We warned yeah. you that Alien Covenant was bad. I mean, Cecil. You warned him along with me. Yeah, one of the... I, I don't think it's the worst <laughs> movie of the year, but I think it's the most disappointing movie of the year. Hey, you, you know what? Don't don't tell me how to live my life, all right? <laughs> <laughs> really try to hammer it home when you really mean it that much. Listen, you steroid ape. We were looking out for you. <laughs> Maybe the steroids have gone to your brain. Hey, it affected this is your all hearing. natural, clean... Bull shark testosterone, all right? All right, but you made the mistake of watching Alien Covenant. Biggest mistake of my life, sir. Go ahead and rant for a little bit, and then Cecil and I will pipe in later. Are we going to start this early? We're going to Ridley Scott it this early into the episode? He was the impetus for this topic, so yes. Yeah, that's that's a fine point. Um, I mean, really going as back is uh, not necessarily too far, because Prometheus only came out a couple of years ago, and... I, I like Prometheus. I've championed Prometheus since it came out. So is my girlfriend. So is a few other people that have seen it. I thought it was I an liked interesting Prometheus. take. It was an interesting take on origin of the, the whole thing of like the alien universe because it, it felt kind of right because you've got those, uh, space jockeys, engineers that they, they really did look like that big being that was sitting in that massive chair at the beginning of the first alien when they first touch down on LV246 when they find the derelict spacecraft you can you can feel the wheels turning you know it kind of makes sense it's like maybe it was these guys that had a a hand in the xenomorphs getting created and it was sort of uh you, you see kind of a proto xenomorph at the end you see this big giant face hugger thing uh the derelict ship uh, takes off uh into space and continues its journey and it sort of makes sense. You you could honestly leave it at that. That could be, and you know, from at that point, maybe it landed on another planet. It ended up at LV246. We got the xenomorphs, and it continued on from there. And then, uh Alien Covenant happened. I'm going to try to be brief. I don't want to rant for like the next 45 minutes because we're going to go into other movies. And I'm sure, are we allowed to spoil? Can we do spoilers? Yeah, I mean, the movie's out on Blu-ray, but it's been out long enough. Yeah. People already know that it sucks. How how do the aliens, uh, how is it revealed that the aliens are, you know, sort of what they are by the time we got the second movie? There's a queen. 
You know, they've been around for a long time. I think it's been established that these eggs, these xenomorphs, that queen, uh, they've been sort of a, a parasite across the universe for quite some time. And aliens uh, established that, as did the other sequels, as did kind of the first movie, because there was, you know, that ancient race of engineers or whatever, and out of its chest, and you can see that. Whereas Covenant decides to, well, let's just, uh, let's just uh, shit on that. Let's just show well, up on okay. the shores. Let's show up on the shores of North America like a bunch of Vikings and just shit on the chest of this franchise. Alien Covenant takes place, I think it's 40 years before the events of Alien. Yeah. And in Alien, in Alien, the ship that was crashed on LV-426 had been there so long that the space jockey had become fossilized. Yeah. And been there a long time. And Ash said the signal had been traveling through space for thousands of years, the warning. Oh. So... How did David create the Xenomorphs? Okay, okay, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I mean, that's... Unless that's time travel's involved, it does not line up. That's ultimately what ended up just making me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit, is the overall origin of the Xenomorphs end up being this android who is, A, somehow more advanced than the android in the first movie that got all buggy and tried to kill Sigourney Weaver, somehow more advanced than the Lance Henriksen android that was supposed to be the top model in the future future, and we're already going in, like, Star Wars prequel territory at this point. We're already to the metachlorian point of this shit. You've got, like, David experimenting for years with the Black Goose stuff. He's killed all of the space jockeys, so the beginning of Alien now doesn't exist. Because there's nobody to have that scene with unless Ridley decides, oh, it's actually going to be David in that chair in one of their suits or no, whatever, uh, okay, whatever no. retarded Ridley, uh, fan theories. No, are this is around. not a fan theory. This is not a fan theory. Ridley has actually addressed this. Are he you says, fucking serious? Yes, the planet that that David killed in Covenant was not their home planet. It was like a base. It was like an oh, outpost. God. So there are still engineers all over the universe. So LV426 ends up being their home planet or whatever. No, that that's just another derelict moon. Because first of all, LV426 is a moon. So it's a, around a much larger planet. But the, he, he has said there are other space jockeys out there, which we may not see anymore because Fox has kind of gone, oh, no, you do not. After oh, they okay. saw a fan reaction to this film, they are pulling the reins very tight on Ridley good. now. This very is good. The, Hopefully... the next film is not – because he had complete creative control over Covenant. He Here's does what not I'm anymore. really looking forward to, and the bottom line for me is that this is such an asinine direction that you've got a more advanced synthetic that ends up creating the xenomorphs, that ends up creating the queen at the end. That's what the queen is, apparently, in the Aliens films. I've decided to say, screw this canon, because, in my opinion, the Predator movies have more dignity than the Alien movies right now. Now, if you think about it, we haven't had that many Predator films. And now that I've thought about that, that's a really good thing. We had Predator 1, solid, fantastic film. Predator 2, in some ways, even better, in my opinion. And that one tied in the Alien films into the Predator films very well. You had the trophy case, you had the Xenomorph skull, and Predator 2 takes place long before even the first Alien movie is supposed to take place in, which tells us, these things have been around for centuries. We had Predators, also solid, also takes place in the same canon universe as Predator 1 and 2. And soon, we'll soon to have Shane Black's Predator. And Another Fred continue- Decker. Don't leave Fred Decker's contribution and out Fred of Decker, that. And Fred Decker, of course, yeah. That, we're we're going to have that. That's a, that We're going to have a fourth Predator film that's still in the content. Is uh, Fred Decker directing the latest one? No, uh, Shane Black is directing, but Fred Decker co-wrote. Oh, the other way around, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, we're going to have Fred Decker and Shane Black's joint feature of Predator. I think they're just calling it The Predator or something the Predator. like that. And it's going to be the fourth film in the franchise. It's set to take place, I believe, some years after Predator 2 and in between Predators. So we have... No, no, it, it actually, cause Predators takes place in, in 2014. Oh, is it actually meant to be more contemporary? Yeah, at one point they mention a current war as the current war. Oh, so okay. Predators okay, takes well, place yeah, in 2014. The, all, the, the, the all new film takes- It's all the, canon. What I'm trying yes. to say is that the Predator movies, to me, have a lot more dignity. The universe that's being portrayed here, and you've got aliens that are involved in it. Both are owned by Fox. 
it's uh, to me, I trust the Predator movies a lot more because I got to say it, they have actually stayed consistently good, consistently entertaining throughout the years, whereas the Alien movies only get worse and worse. So Ridley Scott, I hate to break it to you, buddy. Your franchise dropped off after Aliens. Predator has only been getting better and better. I think it's time to uh, let your creation nestle softly in between the muscular thighs of the Predator race. Sorry to tell you. Do you think Ridley Scott is the right man to be doing these movies now after you've seen Prometheus, which you and I both admitted we did like, although I had problems with? Covenant, I can't give anything to. Covenant and the rest of his output over the last eight or or so years, I don't think Ridley Scott has it anymore. I think he's lost it. I, like, really enjoyed Prometheus. My thing with Prometheus was that it was not an alien movie. It was a movie that happened to have aliens in it. So I was yeah. totally cool with it being a side story because uh, there were a lot of people who, after the movie came out, I was explaining things to them because they're like, uh, when the alien came out at the end and it was like different and I, and they're like, aliens don't do that, aliens? And I'm like, well, no, see, this yes, wasn't... Yes, they do in the third movie. It was a dog. Well, they do that and they do it in the comics as well. I'm like, no, well, this is also friends of mine who they basically base everything off of just, you know, what they've seen in the movies and whatnot they don't delve into the stuff like we do oh they watch cinema sins <laughs> no my friends are not morons uh so they they just you know they're just going by what they had seen previously and so i was like well no these are uh, the aliens kind of uh they'll take on uh whatever they uh, get impregnated into and uh, like with alien 3 where it was more of the the feral dog and that kind of thing and uh i said this is why the alien was was different in uh in prometheus and i said really it wasn't even the, the alien just kind of happened to be there it wasn't really what the movie was about then we got to alien covenant which i had taken was going to be prometheus introducing into the alien storyline and instead we got this nonsensical thing that was supposed to be in canon but even though like you said the time frame is completely off and the whole bs about um the the freaking synth is now the creator of the aliens even though the aliens already exist but the the thing that that really really bothered me and this is thing that people were arguing with me about which seriously like this is the hill you're gonna die on you've got an alien species that it can enter it can get into a host through the air and it'll impregnate itself into that person and then within the span of like an hour will be able to have a 100% fatality rate and will release any, you know, a, an, a young alien, whatever, uh, the, full-sized, the, the protomorph, full-sized, you know, into the wild and they grow at an exponential rate. Then you have David who is taking these and he's perfecting them, but now they have to sit on the face for, you know, X amount of time and impregnate the host and the host has to not be disturbed. And then after a while, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, chest burster will come out and then that will eventually grow into, you know, a full size. Cecil, I'm like, Cecil, How? Cecil, yes. Cecil, it's like iTunes updates. Every time they make it better, it gets worse. Right. But that's, but I had people that are arguing. They're like, they're like, well, that's why it was a backburster. And that's why it was all, cause it was only a, a protomorph or whatever. It wasn't the xenomorph. The xenomorph is the evolved creature. But now, it's like, how, how is, is it, it evolved? evolved? Exactly. Like, how is it evolved? Everybody keeps saying that whenever I argue with them is like, Oh, it's a protomorph. It's, it's different. It's like, but it, as you said, it's breathed in through the air. It comes out faster. It grows faster. It seems to be stronger and it seems to be quicker. How is the updated version of this going to gestate in somebody for several hours at a time, come out of them, eventually grow after hours and not be as efficient as a killing machine? Like it's more savage and more kind of raw. It makes no, it's very, um, it makes no sense. It's very like Star Wars prequel territory where somehow the old technology and the backstory stuff is more shiny and more high tech 
than what's meant to to have been uh, in the future that was created in the 70s. I actually said that about Prometheus, that that was one of my complaints was, why is everything more advanced? And uh, Okay, I'll give Alien, because they were space truckers, but even 57 years after that for Aliens, the Marine Corps has technology that's way more, that's way less advanced than Prometheus did 80 years earlier? Come on! <laughs> we also have to look at just Ridley Scott as a director. He kind of has a thing, if you look at his output for the last, like I said, eight or so years, he doesn't care about consistency or story or whether the movie makes sense. He is a visual filmmaker. He would rather have the movie look pretty than make sense. And he all but confirms that on the commentary of Prometheus. What was Prometheus's biggest complaint from fans? The movie made no sense. Watch all the deleted scenes on, on the Prometheus Blu-ray and you go, oh, most of those plot holes were filled in. Ridley Scott deleted those scenes because they screwed up the pacing of the movie. He, oh. he didn't think the pacing was right with all of the, you know, exclamation scenes. He would rather have a movie that's well-paced than makes a lick of sense. That, to me, is a director who has lost his mind. That's a director who should not be in charge. Sometimes you need someone else to keep you in check as a director. Quentin Tarantino, I think, needed Roger Avery to keep him in check. Once they broke up, Tarantino kind of went crazy. George Lucas, same thing with Gary Kurtz. Once Gary Kurtz left, George Lucas made the e made the Ewoks and the prequels and all that stuff that he'd been fighting that Kurtz had been stopping him from doing. Sometimes you need somebody, you need a partnership to say, no, you can't do that. But what's people like Ridley Scott made, get... Uh, what's that George Lucas movie, the one about the black fighter pilots in World War II? Red oh, Tails, was that? Yeah, yeah that was oh, like his... God. Like, he was so proud of that movie. Uh, this was going <laughs> to be my big... And, like, nobody went to see it. Oh, but, man. But, I mean, you, you, can, you can see, like, Ridley Scott, to me, made a drop-off in 1997. I'm looking at his output prior to that. You got Alien... Blade Runner, Legend, Black Rain, Thelma and Louise. I wasn't a big fan of 1492 or White Squall, but G.I. Jane I really liked. And then I'm like, Gladiator, didn't like. Hannibal, total mess. Black Hawk Down, total mess. Oh. Matchstick Men, total mess. Kingdom of Heaven, total mess. A Good Year, total mess. American Gangster, okay. Body of Lies, meh. Robin Hood, just forgettable garbage. Counselor, forgettable garbage. Exodus, Gods and Kings, horrible. The Martian, Eh, and then the Alien Covenant. And it's like, wait a minute. And then I went and looked. When his long-term producer left him was after G.I. Jane. And you kind of go, that's the point. He didn't have anybody telling him no anymore. Before we get into that, I just want to point out the simple fact that with Tarantino, you are wrong. Because after Avery left... We got Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Sin City, which he directed part of. Uh, we got Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight. So considering that the majority of those got nominated for Oscars, and I don't always use Oscar as this. Then that makes Crash an amazing film, man. Crash was a pretty good movie. Crash I don't know. Crash was crap. I don't know if it necessarily deserved uh, being, you know, because picture, but regardless, it is a litmus test to a certain degree. But I'm saying is that, okay, look, all I'm saying is that, yes, Avery was there. But if you look at like Avery when he was on his own, what did he make? He made exactly. Zoe. There are certain people who need each other, like 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 Meatloaf and Jim Steinman. Together, those two made amazing music. Have you ever heard either solo albums that was put out by Meatloaf or Jim Steinman? Garbage. Then they come back together and they make Bad Out of Hell too, which is an amazing album. Sometimes certain people need to be a team. But I would argue that Tarantino has been more successful. More Avery successful, left. but I haven't liked as many of his movies post-Jackie Brown. I loved Reservoir opinion, Dogs. Though. You haven't. Lots of other people have. His so just style because, changed. Right, but you, for you. But that doesn't mean that that's for everyone. And I would simply say, you do, like, like there are certain things that we can agree on. The quality on certain directors has gone downhill. It's gone drastically downhill. I mean, we're going to be considering the majority of this is going to be talking about Ridley Scott. To say that Tarantino has gone downhill is disingenuous. You don't I, like I didn't it, say he's gone his, downhill. I said he went crazy 
crazy because without someone like Roger Avery keeping his weird ideas in check, you get stuff like even, I mean, even Tarantino doesn't like death proof. He's, he admitted that to video watchdog a few years ago. I still liked a lot of his output after that, but it's not the same. If you compare, let's say, let's call Jackie Brown, you know, since that was his last 90s movie, Jackie Brown in from the, the 90s down and his stuff from 2000s up, they don't feel like they're from the same director. So the director should just never change. Should just no. stay. Make the I don't same like kind of his thing. newer stuff as much. I love his '90s work. When when you look at Reservoir Dogs, it feels like a Tarantino film. Hell, the man from Hollywood, his segment in Four Rooms. Even if Tarantino didn't star in it, if you didn't know that was Tarantino, you'd go, God, this feels like Quentin Tarantino. You look at Inglorious Bastards and Hateful Eight, you don't go, Man, this feels like Tarantino. I don't know. I thought Django Unchained felt very Tarantino. I feel like I he's parts always of it, yeah. uh, kept a certain style. I mean, maybe he's gotten more over the top as uh, time has gone by, but I think it really depends on the type of movie he's making. I mean, when it came to Django Unchained and especially Inglorious Bastards and even Kill Bill, he was really going for more of a drive-in uh, exploitation kind of style with that, whereas Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and Jackie Brown was more of like contemporary crime film style with a little bit of a 70s edge. So I think with Tarantino, it really depends on what he's making. I don't necessarily consider him falling uh, from grace the, the same way Ridley Scott is. I can think of several other examples that fit that a lot better. Oliver Stone. I don't know what in the hell happened to that man. I, I'm looking at his filmography. I literally can't find a single thing he's done that's worthwhile since any given Sunday in 1999. What's the last thing he's made? Well, he's been doing a lot of TV, but the last movie was that horrible Savages in 2012. Mm. Mm. Otherwise, he did the terrible Wall Street sequel that no one cared about, that W movie that was terrible, the World Trade Center movie that was so bland it was forgettable. You had the Alexander movie, which I thought was the worst film of 2004, and it's like, what happened to you, Oliver Stone? What the hell happened, man? I think the last thing of his I saw that I liked was Natural Born Killers. Yeah, same. Which, I actually liked, see, I actually liked Any Given Sunday, but I'll give you that, yeah. I didn't like Any Given Sunday because I don't like sports movies. Even movies <laughs> that are tangentially about sports, I don't care. But I mean, like Oliver Stone, you go, what happened to this man? And you know, there are others. This one, I know Cecil's going to have a problem with the last one, but Kevin Smith is not Kevin Smith anymore. You go, again, back to the his 90s stuff. I just watched Dogma again for the first time in, you know, 15 years. And it still totally felt like a Kevin Smith movie. Get like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, that still feels like a Kevin Smith movie. Jersey Girl, not so much. Clerks 2, yeah, that was all right. Everything after Zack and Miri, and I do blame this on Seth Rogen, has been garbage. He has not put out one thing that I can even say that even, that I can even find something positive about since Seth Rogen introduced him to pot. Since he became a pothead, Kevin Smith is just worthless as a director to me. Kevin Smith, after he he did Clerks 2 and he made Zack and Mary made a porno, or Zack and Mary make a porno, he was really, really, really disenfranchised with Hollywood, simply because he couldn't market Zack and Mary make a porno. So to the point of where he joked about how they had to make the stick figures to, you know, to kind of promote the movie. And then uh, they, like some theaters wouldn't call it make a porno, so they just called it Zack and Mary. And that like completely undermined the whole, the whole crux of the movie he had decided he was going to do one more movie and then he was going to retire and he made cop out and cop out he made for his father who loved buddy cop movies he was like i'm going to do something different here i'm going to take you know a script that somebody else wrote and i'm going to do this and just call it quits and he did that and then that ended up being a big debacle because of bruce willis and because of tracy morgan and the original title of the movie was supposed to be a couple of dicks but they wouldn't let him call it that so they had to change the cop out and it ended up just being a whole big mess and he was going to retire but then he he kind of had something happen while he was making cop out he's like you know what he's like I do want to retire. He's like, I'm kind of sick of the industry, but I have this feeling that I'm doing something that's 
out of my out of my usual comfort zone. I'm doing something that's different from the uh, the Jay and Silent Bob movies. I'm kind of expanding my horizons here. And he had already had Red State written, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to see if I can get independent funding and do this uh, like old school festival style. So he shot the film on like a budget that he had acquired from like some uh, uh, in, in independent investors. Put the whole thing together and took it out on the road. Went from like you know did spoken words and they watched the movie and then he answered questions afterwards and he really enjoyed that so after that he was getting uh independent funds people uh were coming to him and being like like in the case of tusk he was talking about that on his uh podcast and he had no intention of making tusk but he got contacted by a producer who was like hey we've got this slush fund that we have put aside you know every year or whatever and we want to give it to you to make tusk because we want to see if you can make this movie and so he made tusk like he was like all right you're gonna pay me to make this movie sure i'm gonna go out i'm gonna have fun with it i'm gonna try to make something really weird same thing with with yoga hosers he he was like talking to, to johnny depp and both of their daughters worked on tusk and he said hey why don't we make a movie with our daughters? What the hell? Same thing. We'll take it out on the road. And so they went to a, a production studio and they said, hey, I want to make this movie with my daughters. And oh, yeah, Johnny Depp will be in it. And they're like, OK, here's five million dollars. And so they made that. So the thing is, right now, he's doing whatever he wants and he's not taking it. These are not movies that are going through the old system. These are movies that if you want to see them, you have to go out of your way to see them. They're going to be at uh, they're going to be at film festivals. They're going to be at you know, they're not going to be at film festivals. They're going to be at his spoken word things he's doing around the country but i'm saying but now they're also on netflix but what i'm saying is that he is just kind of doing whatever he feels like the the uh, the only alternative was that he was going to retire so he is expanding and trying to do different things and sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not going to work and i kind of think that that is a very big sign of an artist who is willing to try different things he's trying to expand his horizons he's trying to go beyond this stuff that he admit i mean i love you know clerk small rest chasing amy they're great movies i adore them they are a large part of my youth they are why i wanted to get into the film industry to begin with they are all very contained and making movies movies like Red State and Tusk and Yoga Hosers. They're weird. They're different. They're, there's not a lot of other movies that you can really compare them to. They're also not good. I will objectively say Yoga Hosers is the worst film of 2016. It doesn't. Yoga Hosers is not even an actual movie. It and, doesn't but, matter. Okay, with all that stuff that you said, and I don't necessarily disagree with you that he's tr- maybe trying to grow, but he's trying to grow in the wrong direction. Because he's admitted, as much as Jay and Silent Bob might have all been about weed in the 90s and all that, he didn't smoke. It was Seth Rogen that made him a pothead. And when you look at all of those movies he's come out with, they're pothead movies. They yes. Yoga Hosers, the jokes in that, are funny if you're stoned. Regular people, you should not make a movie that's only funny when you're stoned. If that's how you make a movie, you're not a good director. All right, so I guess all of his work on The Flash and Supergirl and, uh, you know... Like I haven't none- seen his... I've only seen one of his Flash episodes, but his Supergirl episodes... Uh, and this was probably the CW holding him back, because I know, like, even when Joe Dante would do CSIs, you couldn't see Joe Dante's style. If I didn't see Kevin Smith's name, and, of course, the fact that he shoehorned his daughter into every one of them, his Supergirl episodes just feel like average Supergirl episodes. They don't feel like Kevin Smith movies at all, other than the fact that he's got to put his talentless daughter in everything. And I say that, objectively, she's not a good actress. And he's too close to her, because he's the only one who can't see she can't deliver a line of dialogue realistically at all. She could maybe grow to be a good actress, but Harley Quinn Smith is a terrible actress. There's something telling that the, you know, it's, it's like with, uh, Sherry Moon Zombie. When everything you're in is directed by your husband, maybe you're not really that sought after. <laughs> Harley Quinn, when every single thing that you're in, your dad's the only one who'll hire you, maybe you're not that good of an actress. Mm. With her though, I don't take it as her trying to be an actress. I take it as her. She even, like when, when, uh, I, I, um, I went to the, the road show thing to see, uh, to see, uh, Yoga Hosers. And she came out and she talked a little bit and she's like not really trying to be an actress. She's just like, with her, it's a way of her bonding with her father. And he happens to be a director. So he's throwing her into stuff. 
stuff. I mean, I don't really see, I mean, it's not like with the exception of yoga hosers, which they made specifically to have, you know, a, a movie with both of their daughters in the front. But again, it was a movie that they knew not a lot of people were going to see and not a lot of people were going to like, and they weren't really, they just were doing it to have fun. And I kind of, I can respect that. I can enjoy, you know, I like that. No, was it a good movie? And eh, it had a couple funny moments, but overall it's one of, it's probably actually, uh, the only thing weaker is cop out. And that's cause cop out. You was just a, a, a disaster. He's even said himself that he doesn't have a directing style. And I don't know if I agree with that or not, because I feel like a Kevin Smith. So I think in does, the nineties he did. He does have a certain aesthetic, but I think with him, it's really more his writing. I wouldn't necessarily say he's been falling as a director. Cause as Cecil said, He's gotten to a point where he's kind of just making whatever he wants to make, and it's more just kind of fun, independent movies geared more toward what he wants to make, and if it finds an audience, it finds an audience. Personally, I gave up after him after, like, Zack and Miri. I didn't really find that funny at all. I thought Red State was interesting for, like, a guy that's primarily done comedy to go and do this horror movie about, like, right-wing nut jobs and them thinking the the Armageddon was coming and it was kind of a take on, like, the whole Westboro Baptist Church and John Goodman was quite good in it, so that one was pretty fun. Well, John Goodman's good in anything. Well, of course. He will elevate mm-hmm. anything he's in. God. He tried Plus, to elevate Valerian, but yeah. even, even John Goodman's not that good. You can only do so much, Cecil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Tusk sucked. I, I hated that one. I still haven't seen uh, Yoga Hose I'm not really going to condemn him as an actor, but I'm going to condemn him as a father because it's really shitty to call your kid Harley Quinn Smith to, like, force your comic book bullshit on your child. I don't even think Tim Burton is a director anymore. I think he just shows <laughs> up and people do things. Yeah. I mean, even his all of his new movies, they don't even have the Tim Burton style anymore. No. I, I mean, I think the last movie that he made, and it's weird how I keep making this cutoff right at the end of the 90s, was Sleepy Hollow. I didn't personally like Sleepy Hollow, but it felt like a Tim Burton movie. Oh, very Planet much Planet of so. the Apes? Planet of the Apes did not. Big Fish Wait, did not. Did he Charlie and the Chocolate the Apes? Yeah, Ooh, he did. Christ, he did. Yeah, the, he, he did, did the 2001 Mark Wahlberg one. one. That, that yeah. started. That started his wave of remakes. Oh yeah. God! But I, I'm looking. I'm looking here. I don't see a single thing he's directed since 1999 that feels like a Tim Burton movie. The closest thing would be Corpse Bride, but that's honestly felt more like a Harry Selleck movie than anything. Mm. But I mean, maybe Sweeney Todd. But even that, it didn't work. I can't it, find anything that feels like Tim Burton anymore. Sweeney Todd felt Tim Burton-y, but like very commercial Tim Burton. Like almost the same, uh, not quite as bad as the Alice in Wonderland movie was, but definitely a departure from the spark that he used to have. I, I agree with that one. I feel like Sleepy Hollow was his last truly good movie. And I like that movie a lot, actually. I thought, I think Sleepy Hollow is um one that I like quite a bit and I revisit it somewhat often, at least during the Halloween season. I enjoy it. I think it's a interesting take on the whole Ichabod Crane horror legend stuff. But yeah, throughout the years, Mr. Tim Burton has definitely gotten lazy. He definitely phones it in. His movies look like shit. Like they're completely desaturated digitally. It's not like trying to make things look kind of grim and spooky on camera like he did with Edward Scissorhands, which had a very cool juxtaposition of like super bright colors mixed with the character of Edward Scissorhands or the very outlandish look that uh, his Batman movies had or the very cool look that uh, Ed Wood had, you know, with the black and white uh, Ed Wood Ed Wood felt style. like an old 50s. It, it felt visually like it a did. 50s movie. It which really fits. did. Even something like uh, Mars Attacks, which I think is one of his more critically underrated ones. I think that's still really a Tim Burton style movie. It's got that 50s aesthetic to it. The Martians look, they have the goofy style. They look like the way they did on the old... They look like the way they did on the old, like, gum packets that the, mo- the movie was based on. Don't run. We are your friends. <laughs> recently, recently in the comics, Judge Dredd got to punch all of them. They tried to invade Mega City 1 in the comics. I'm not kidding. I'd like to see. Glorious. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's something changed after, after Sleepy Hollow and after, uh, or I think it's the other way around, after Mars Attacks and after Sleepy Hollow, he, I don't know if he got lazy or he started to believe in too much of his own book. 
bullshit or he started to rely too much on digital effects. Because I know for the longest time, he was really more of a, you know, I'm a kooky movie magic practical effects kind of guy. And it's like you could see that in his movies. It definitely had that old school movie charm to it. And then you've got Johnny Depp spinning like a top upside down in the Wizard of, was it Wizard of Oz? No, um, Alice in Wonderland movie and just that ridiculous little retarded CG dance and just the whole washed out look of that movie in general. I, I really think he's gotten lazy and just, uh, he knows that he can churn out whatever he wants. It'll be widely received because you still have all those people that are like, oh, Johnny Depp and, oh, Tim Burton's so whimsical. Piece of shit. Dark Shadows movie he made it. And, and that one in theory could have worked because if 90s Tim Burton had tried to make a Dark Shadows movie, I think that would have worked. That would have been great. I think he would have nailed it in the 90s, but his, uh, con- contemporary Burton was, that was garbage. That was right up there with his, uh, with his Alice in Wonderland stuff and all the new stuff he was making. I think Tim Burton is definitely a guy that has, uh, become unrecognizable as uh, as a filmmaker he really doesn't have that same spark and whether it's intentional in his part whether he's burned out whether he's gotten lazy i mean we don't personally know the guy but his work isn't recognizable to what it was when he was really putting out the good stuff what about someone like john carpenter again i'm gonna make a weird cutoff here Late 90s. Yeah. John Carpenter, John Carpenter hasn't done a lot since Escape from LA, although I hated Village of the Damned before that. After that, Vampires, I'll get to Vampires in a minute, but Ghosts of Mars was terrible. Both (laughs) of his Masters of Horror episodes were terrible. The Ward was terrible. He's only done a few things. They don't feel like John Carpenter at all. Whereas Vampires, I might have hated that movie more than just a regular person, because I read the novel first, and he throws the bulk of the novel out, and I think substitutes it for worse material. So maybe if I hadn't read John Stakely's vampires first maybe i wouldn't hate vampires as much although i do say james woods was fantastic in that even if the movie was garbage here's the thing with with john carpenter doesn't really get addressed a lot his movies have all gone on to be cult classics they've all gone on to be revered as movies that are some of the best movies ever made however the vast majority of them were box office failures they were bombs and the thing was he always was like making these great movies and they just they didn't hit i mean people like i did my video on the thing and critics hated the thing and it did terribly and his movies they've always kind of they've had a resurgence what happened with a lot of his later 90s movies was after he was making all these movies that they just didn't take off at the time uh in the case of something like uh, yeah i'm I'm with you i didn't like village of the damned but uh with escape from la that he was working on it and the studio decided to push the release date up four months so whenever you still like escape from la but whenever you talk to somebody about from escape and i like escape from la too but whenever you talk to most people they say the reason why they dislike the movie is because the cgi is so bad well the cgi is so bad because they lost four months of render time and that's why everything doesn't look finished because it wasn't finished vampires i enjoyed i would say that the common like the the story may not have been the strongest but james wood and thomas ian griffith they're worth the movie alone seeing the two of those they're they're like it it was like all right you know what everything else may not be quite as strong but they were great my thing with vampires was having read the novel i loved the first 10 minutes up until the hotel massacre that is almost exactly the novel i thought he's really adapting this and then he threw everything out but the novel after that is so much better so it's kind of like wait you replaced me with less qualified materials that's i think what hurt about vampires the most okay if you're gonna throw it out and make it better fine but you threw it out and then you pissed on it but the thing is you don't like i i haven't really researched vampires beyond uh, what i've seen but you don't know why all that was changed and the thing is a lot of times with with movies with adaptations they change from the book and i haven't seen i haven't read the novel so i don't know what uh, what's different it's very possible 
And more than likely, I'd be willing to bet that this wasn't a case of him changing something. It was a change. It was a some producer or somewhere who probably wanted to change something or save money somewhere because that was the case with Ghosts of Mars. They were supposed to have a whole lot more on the train. They were supposed to have this whole uh inner like this whole space sequence, and there was a whole lot of stuff that was going on, and that all got cut. I think it was some ridiculous amount, like forty million dollars or some absurd amount of money, got cut out. Of the budget, so he That's had to probably con- a good thing. Honestly, he got confined down to like you know the prison block, and they changed. He should have been confined more. Here's the point I'd like to make. Okay, <laughs> John Carpenter works best with a minor budget. He Getting does, but I budget ruins the film, in my opinion. If you look at Escape from L.A., I know that a lot of that has to do with render time or whatever, but just think of that. Think of Escape from L.A. Think of uh, Ghost of Mars. Both of these, I think, would have been better if they had more of the smaller budgets that he had in his 80s and 70s films. I think it forces him to be more creative with what he's doing. The the thing is, I enjoy Ghosts of Mars. I enjoy uh, Escape from L.A. I enjoy Vampires. But there's a certain artistry to older John Carpenter films, or even like a movie like At the Mouth of Madness. A lot of these ones, like uh, Antichrist or whatever. Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness, yeah. These ones had a bit of a smaller budget. It's had a lot more practical effects to them. It relied more on mood because the, the budget was lower, so he had to limit himself to certain things. I think Ghosts of Mars would have been even worse if they allowed him to take it to space, if they allowed it to be on the train more. Because, you know, look what happened with Escape from L.A. They were like, let's give you the CG submarine. Let's give you the CG landscape. Oh, we got to push it four months ahead. And they rushed it. I, I feel like the reason why Carpenter has been dropping off as much as he as he has is money inadvertently ruins certain filmmakers and it can inadvertently ruin all sorts of uh, producers and entertainers and whatnot. Sometimes that lack of budget really pushes filmmaker to fire on all cylinders. Like to me, his best works are still stuff like Halloween, uh, Assault on Precinct 13, Escape from New York, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, movies like that. Carpenter really pushing himself to his creative limit and forcing himself to because he barely had any budget to work with on these things. He really had to make it look as awesome as possible with such a limited amount of funding. Whereas it seems like when you give him money, his movies don't even look as interesting as before. He doesn't use as much color. Uh, most of it is more post, post-production, post-coloring. He doesn't use Dean Cundy anymore either. Yeah. Yeah. You can really see it. Like even in Escape from LA, like compare the colors in Escape from New York to like the colors in Escape from LA. LA clearly has more post-production coloring. It's a lot more neutral looking. It's a lot more like flat. Whereas, you know, he, he okay. even made, even made bad decisions in that. Yeah. That were not part of the post-production, like Pam Greer. Yeah. She was not aware she was going to be dubbed. Mm-hmm. She thought it, you know, since she's playing a dude in the movie, it was actually, she was under the impression, and I agree with her, it would have been way funnier to still have Pam Greer's voice. Yeah. Not the voice her she had in the movie. Yeah, that was really just weird. Um, there are a lot of strange, uh, directions he started taking the more money that he got. And I really, I really respect him as a filmmaker. I mean, I, I love his, uh, his visual aesthetic. I love his stories. I love his storytelling style. You know, his choice of music, his music style personally that he, when he composes his own, his own, uh, scores for his films. But I do feel like it, and it's weird. It happens to certain directors where you, the more money you give them, the less interesting the product actually is. And that kind of sucks to say because it's like, um, well, I'd rather they paid you less so your movies look better. I mean, it's obviously kind of an insult because you're essentially saying that you should didn't give them more money because ultimately they'll churn out kind of plastic uh, looking crap. But in I, I think Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith's a perfect example of that. I look think at so. His... L- look at Mulrats. Listen to that commentary. He had so much money he didn't know what to do with. He was actually sending crew home because he's like, I don't need you. And they're like, um, Guild, we have to be here. He's like, I only need three of you, not 13. <laughs> you know, he had so much money, he literally didn't know what to do with it on that movie. Well, personally, yeah, Clerks, um, Clerks was his best movie, and I feel like the, the minimalism of it is really what worked and made it feel more raw and made it feel more natural. And I like Mulrats a lot. Hell, I even like, you know, Clerks 2 and Dogma, and I feel like a, a lot of his uh, films kind of have their place. But with Carpenter, he really became unrecognizable. You know, gone were the neon colors. Gone were the the, the synth scores. Like, even his music became more like on the 
kind of heavy metal spectrum like, that you'd hear in uh, Ghost, Ghost of, of Mars. Mars that absolutely. Yeah, in like Escape from L.A. and and all the all his like more recent movies, like everything became different. He was almost trying to become more of like a Hollywood action director rather than like an indie. Uh, it was, uh, his older movies were so much more punk rock and do it yourself. And you had like the cool synthesizer, synthesizer scores and the much more dramatic looking lighting and shadow and, and neon color. I, I really do think that Carpenter, unfortunately, because of escalated budgets, really distanced himself from the artist. And I use that term as strongly as I can, the artist that he used to be. Okay, well, here's the the major problem with that. And this is uh, an, an issue that I have with Hollywood. John Carpenter started working on The Thing. He had two full years of pre-production. Movies don't get that kind of pre-production time anymore. Movies get like a couple of months and then right into filming. And then because they, they put the release date out like while the move, like before the movies even shot. Mm. So with, with uh, the thing, he had $10 million to do that movie. He had two years of pre-production, which is why they were able to do all of those setup shots. All of, they, they, un- they discovered all these great ways to do some of the practical effects, all the things that they had designed. Well, we did this and we built this and it doesn't work. Well, let's kind of go back to the, to the shop and figure out how to make it work. And then by the time they actually were ready to film, they had everything already ready. And mm-hmm. the problem with the newer movies and why the need for the inflated budget was simply because the time uh, constraint was so much more smaller. So you had to hire more people and you had to pay for, you know, more CGI companies to do the effects in post as opposed to doing them uh, in camera. Because that was the thing with a lot of those movies. There was a big setup time, but there wasn't a lot of post-production time because everything was already in camera. All they had to do was do a little bit of color correcting, uh, edit the film out, add in the score, add in this, you know, any additional effects or visual things. And that was it. But with this, it's like, okay, well, we shot this film. All right, here's everything. All right, here's the scene and we need a monster. All right, well, we need to hire, you know, this company to take this footage and add in this and do this. And, and that's why it ends up costing a lot of money because you have to pay more money to get a, a company that will be able to do it in a shorter period of time. One of the major problems with movies today is that they're so expensive because they put so much into CGI because that's the only way they can crank them out quickly. It's it's a lot more pre-production time and they don't want to wait. They want to rush that stuff out the door. Also, in the case of John Carpenter, he needed a Gary Kurtz. He needed someone to tell him no. You notice when everything started to fall apart is when Deborah Hill and him stopped collaborating. Because go back, somebody found three or four years ago the original cut of John Carpenter's The Thing, and it was horrible. It was essentially a slasher movie. And it was Deborah Hill that was like, John, this does not work. And they went back and had to reshoot a lot of the more iconic scenes. Same thing with The Fog. Deborah Hill was like, no, 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 we got to take this down. Prince of Darkness, etc. Look at when he stopped collaborating with Deborah Hill. His movies went to crap. That was right around Village of the Damned time. John Carpenter also needed somebody to tell him no. And then the word, he was just a gun for hire. Like, that's pretty much, that's like... And those Masters of Horror episodes, it was the scripts. Well... Those, those, those Drew McWeeny scripts were f***ing terrible. Drew McWeeny? I will go... That's his name. Yeah, Drew McWeeny. He's a video, he's a movie critic. He's an Ain't It Cool News guy. If that, that should be all you need to know. He's one of the Ain't It Cool News guys. Yeah. Whoa. He's edgy, man. Like with John Carpenter, and like like I said, with George Lucas, he'd been, you know, all through Star Wars and Empire. Kurtz was the one telling him, no, George, you can't do that. That's stupid. You know, making Han Solo a giant fish man. It was Gary Kurtz who talked Lucas out of that. It was Gary Kurtz who talked him out of, you know, a lot of the stupid things that would wind up later on. In, in one of the books that came out two or three years ago about the prequels, he wanted to do a lot of that dumb shit in the first two movies but it was gary kurtz who kept saying george no this won't work (laughs) and then as soon as as soon as gary kurtz quits because he's sick of fighting with george what does george do wrecks the whole thing all the dumb certain directors certain directors need someone to tell them no let's end tonight then back on ridley scott now he does not direct this movie 
from all the interviews I've seen, Ridley Scott has had a large hand in not directing, but guiding Blade Runner 2049. Oh, no. To the point where I'm going, oh, my God, don't you dare Please, screw no. this. Because th- there's already one thing. The third trailer had a line of dialogue in it that made me go, don't you dare. <laughs> because remember, Ridley always said Deckard was a replicant. Ugh. Whereas... David Peoples, who wrote the movie, said he wasn't. Harrison Ford said he wasn't. The producers, like Bud Yorkin, he's not. Ridley, as he says, the only way the movie works is if he's a replicant. I think the only mo- way the movie fly? works is if he's not. It doesn't but, work if he's a replicant. Nothing makes sense if he's a fucking replicant. Exactly. But right. there's a line in the third trailer that makes me go, Deckard's a replicant in this oh, movie. No. And, and, I, and if that happens, it's I'm going to get up and leave the theater. Because I have been looking forward to this. If Deckard is a replicant, fuck you then, Ridley Scott. I'm done with your ass. After Covenant, if you screw up Blade Runner 2049, you're fucking dead to me as a director. At least he's not directing it. Like, I know it's it's a guy that uh, did Arrival, and he does actually have a great vision. Arrival is good. The movie looks really good. It's got a great visual aesthetic to it. It looks like the same style that the first one was in. I think Ryan Gosling is a perfect choice for a new Blade Runner. You know, he's got that sort of 80s appeal to him. And it seems like him and Harrison Ford are really fighting against uh, Ridley Scott having anything to do with it. Like, they're, they've constantly been uh, trying to push him away and distance him away from the film as much as possible. And I really, really hope that they've actually managed to cause a dent in that. Because, yeah, if you, you get Ridley Scott in there and you, you find out, like, all the... As soon as you find out about all the different versions of Blade Runner and how there's the director's cut that's got the fucking scene from Legend with the unicorn in it, like the deleted scene... Actually, to be fair, that's been debunked. That was not a deleted scene from Legend. It's just because those two movies, the director's cut and Legend, were made so close together. In fact, though, the the theatrical cut has a deleted scene from The Shining in it, though, to be fair. (laughs) What the f***? I'm not kidding. That that whole scene at the end with the clouds and all that, that was actually shot by Kubrick for The Shining, but it was the same studio, so they just used it again. That's actually a deleted shot from The Shining. I'm not kidding. Jesus Christ. Keep Ridley the hell away from movies, man. I mean, I think the the, the writing has always been on the walls, but we've all been too uh, mesmerized by Alien and Black Rain and... Blade Runner to not know that it's not the old age thing. It's not, it's not, uh, on set of Alzheimer's or anything. I think the guy has just always been a fucking unicorn obsessed, obsessed, uh, lunatic. I am hoping for the best, but I'm expecting the worst. <laughs> That's the way I'm going into Justice League. Boo! So, Cecil, where can people find you just declining in your later years? Because <laughs> it's at the theme of the show. Oh, for crying out loud, I'm tired. I can't even argue. Um, I guess I am old if I'm tired. Uh, although it's it's in the future. You know, I'm in the future. You people are still in the past. I'm hours ahead of both of you. Uh, I am at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. Peter, where can people find you just getting so much money you just don't even know how to deal with it? Oh, thanks for making me depressed. We know that's not true. (laughs) Uh, You can find me being weirded out by Eric Roberts and Feathers on Twitter at Zinematica. I really didn't need to see that bird pooping twice. (laughs) Because because I had to see it. Therefore, you had to see it more times. That caught me so f***ing off guard. YouTube Cinemasticus, Facebook Cinemasticus. Find me on 1201beyond.com with a lot of merch. Buy some uh, 1201beyond.com merch as well. Got a new episode out. Go watch it. Uh, there may or may not be a bird shitting three or more times. Peter may be a communist, but he is not a porn star. No. I'm an idiot, a pig, a communist. I am not a porn star, but definitely a porn star. And see, the reason I won't decline in my later years is I was never talented to begin with. So you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold, and do not watch Alien Covenant because no. fuck Ridley Scott.
up and there it is, a line shot up the middle. Look at him go, this boy can really fly. He's rounding first and really turning it on now. He's not letting up at all, he's gonna try for the second. The ball is bobbled out in center and here comes the throw and what a throw. He's gonna slide in head first, here he comes. He's out, no way safe, safe at second base. This kid really makes things happen out there. Batter steps up to the plate. Here's the pitch, and he's going, and what a jump he's got. He's trying for third. Here's the throw. It's in the dirt. Safe at third. Holy cow, stolen base. Taking a pretty big lead out there, almost daring him to try and pick him off. Pitcher glances over, winds up, and it's fun and bunted down the third baseline. The suicide squeezes on. Here he comes. Squeeze play. It's going to be close. Here's the throw. Here's the play at the plate. Holy cow, I think he's going to make it. Before we go any further, do you love me? Will you love me forever? Do you need me? Will you never leave me? Will you make me so happy for the rest of my life? Will you take me away? Will you make me your wife? And do you love me? Will you love me forever? Do you need me? Will you never leave me? Will you make me so happy for the rest of my life? Will you take me away? Will you make me your wife? I gotta know right now Before we go any further Do you love me? Will you love me forever? Let me sleep on you
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.